Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where we are wrapping up 2018, and I cannot believe time flies just this quickly. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch. A boker tov to Yoni behind the board. What's up, Pollock? Good morning. A new setting today. Yes. Compared to last week, that's all. Okay, well, yes, I hear that. I was going to make a joke about Toronto and coming back with some Canadian accent or, you know, something else Canadian. Maybe I became nicer in 24 hours. Nope. Nope, nope. And I apologize more. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Maybe I became funnier. Nope. Nope, still not. Um, Yeah, but thank you, Toronto. Toronto last week was wonderful. We really enjoyed our stay. We enjoyed our opportunity there, that is for sure. And then, of course, JNF Thursday morning at Gotta Get a Bagel. That was great. And then Achiez. There are a lot of good stuff going on here at the network. We really appreciate everyone tuning in. Seems like a slew of you ta- turned uh, tuned in last week. Yeah, really. It was, um, it was great. It was really great. So we thank you for your continued listenership. And we thank you for your support. For those who have already participated in our fundraiser, 2018 fundraiser, we appreciate the fact that you sent back your remittance envelopes. Thank you very much for supporting our programming. And for those of you who are still looking to support our programming before the end of the year, get those tax donations in. You can go to fjbunity.org. That is fjbunity.org. You can make your online donation there. It is a secure site. Or you can send back your envelope with a donation. Or if neither one of those works for you, just you know, shoot us an email. You can email yoni at nachumsegel.com and he can figure out a way to take your donation as well. But again, we appreciate all support that we receive here at the Nachum Siegel Network. The programming you love depends on you. So please do what you can and support us before the end of 2018. Let's do the national holidays. Today's the 27th, Yoni. Mm-hmm. It's free balloon day. Okay, I like that towards the end of the year. I dig that. Yeah. I don't know holidays. where to go, though, for free balloon day. Oh, interesting. You think like Party City has like free... No, probably no, not. Probably right? not. They wouldn't do anything for No, it. no. I, I don't know how to walk into a place and say, I'm, I'm sorry, did you, did did you, you know, know it was free balloon day? <laughs> right, like free ice cream scoop, like, you know, Ben and Jerry's, yeah, Hagen's, these places exactly. participate. Like, right, because there are national chains. Yeah. Who besides Party City blows up balloons anymore? I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe, like the dollar stores. And then so close to the 31st. Right. Can't get that for free. Yeah. Moneymaker. Those good balloons are going to last four days. Interesting. Okay. And how many of your friends can you go in? Can you get to go in and get your free balloon? Right. That That's it. Your party's ready. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how to participate in that, though I'd like to know. It's also Visit the Zoo Day, which I have to be honest with you, why on earth that is scheduled for the end of December shocks me. Oh, that's good. good it's call. freezing out there. The Bronx Zoo is free on is it Wednesdays, maybe? I don't know. No, you've never I have no that? idea. I didn't, I didn't even know that was a possibility. Don't yeah. you have like a, a... Really? I think there's one one day a week that's free. I don't know. I can't go to the Bronx Zoo. It's humongous. I've never been. Actually. It's like the entire, I don't know, state of Rhode Island fits inside of the Bronx Zoo. I'm exhausted by the time <laughs> I get from one side to the other. If I see three things, I'm lucky. Plus, I'm not a big zoo person in general. We should go one Wednesday, if, it, if that's the day. We should go like... Yeah, the network. Okay. Okay. That's it. I'm just bringing it up. Okay. It's an option. Sure. In, in like May or June. Yes. Actually, it might be too hot then. In like April or May. Right. If there is one perfect day between now and the end of season seven. Right. That would be great if you could schedule that. Put that broadcast from put the hmm, Now we're thinking. Okay. Now that's not a bad idea. Put that on the whiteboard. Um, it's also Howdy Duty Day. 
Howdy Doody. Do you know what Howdy Doody is? Uh, or who Howdy Doody is? No. I didn't know that was Oh, that. Yoni! Sounds like Hammy Doodin. Oh, God. Like the mayor. Of yeah, I, I got the joke. Ago. I got the joke. I got the joke. All right, Yoni. How we do I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I actually have to Google this. You, no, forget it. You have uh, you have till the end of this show, and with the wrap up, we're going to do a test on Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody. Okay. Howdy. Do you even know how to spell it? I'm just hopefully. Oh like, my gosh. Will figure it out. I, I. All right. Now we're in a fight. Um. Let's wish Mazel Tov. It's Mazel Tov. Uh, a hearty Mazel Tov to Toby and Dr. Mark Singer on their recent marriage. Uh, we are obviously certainly so happy for Dr. Mark who has been a stalwart supporter of JMAM and the Nahum Siegel Network since its inception. Mazal tov to both of them. We wish you many, many happy years together. And a mazal tov to Samantha and Samuel Rockland on their wedding. That was Sunday evening. I was so happy to be there. It was a beautiful, beautiful night. You know, Yoni, when you're at a wedding and you feel like everyone who's there actually wants to be there and is happy to be there? That's the way these yeah. weddings were. Like at Dr. Mark's wedding and at the Rockland wedding, um, or I should say the Rockland Klein House wedding. It was it was just that kind right, of a yeah, feeling. No, people are like, oh, it's another wedding I have to right. go to. Like, no, everyone, everyone was happy. Nice. It was a really good vibe. So we wish everyone it's a hearty mouth up. Um, it's not going to happen at yours? Yeah, okay, I don't, like, oh, I I don't know. Nachum and I will be happy to be there. Okay. Maybe <laughs> Binyamin. Maybe <laughs> Binyamin. <laughs> uh, let's do, the, na- let's do uh, the fortune cookie, and then we will uh, proceed to our guests. There is so much going on. Um, and I, I don't, you know, of course I didn't check to see if anybody won last night because, you know, because I don't know anything about this, but I'm, yeah, check later. I may play (laughs) Who knows? I might have to quit after the show. Yeah. I'm, what about me? Yeah. Yeah, Whatever. I'm not going to quit anyway. Let's be honest. honest. Yeah. I'm a lifer here. Okay. Hold on. I got a fortune cookie the other night. It was so bad. Did you get it on Christmas night? Is that one? I got it. Yes. We let us say that on there. On night? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, we got, Okay. To go too far is as bad as to fall short. Maybe. This actually may be decent. I I might disagree, though. To go too far is as bad as to fall short? You're putting in a lot of effort. I don't know. It's like going, it's like placing second. Okay, well. uh, we'll All right, well, we'll talk about it. After you do your research on Howdy Doody, um, we will get to that. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I am joined uh, this morning by Keshet Starr. She is the executive director of the Organization for the Resolution of Agunot, which is otherwise known as ORA. It is the only nonprofit organization addressing the Aguna, the Jewish divorce refusal crisis, on a case-by-case basis worldwide at ORA. Keshet oversees advocacy and early intervention initiatives designed to assist individuals seeking a Jewish divorce, along with prevention initiatives to eliminate abuse from the Jewish divorce process. She has written for outlets such as the Times of Israel, the Forward, and Haaretz, and frequently presents on issues related to Jewish divorce processes. Keshet has also authored academic work focused on get refusal and domestic abuse and is a Wexner Field Fellow. She's a graduate of the University of Michigan and University of Pennsylvania Law School. Keshet lives in central New Jersey with her husband and three young children, and she joins us this morning. Good morning, Keshet. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. No, my, absolutely my pleasure. And um, I guess this is belated, but Mazal Tov on your being appointed as the executive director of ORA. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we've had the pleasure of uh, having Jeremy Stern, the previous executive director, on air a number of times. Um, I think one of my first interviews, probably eight years ago or so, was with Jeremy at the beginning of what, what we began to understand as the Aguna 
crisis as the Jewish divorce refusal crisis, a term that I don't think even crossed people's minds beforehand. And, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I just want to talk about for a second the transition for Ora. And I, and I mean this sincerely, between having a man as the executive director and now a woman as the executive director. Tell me how you see your roles as uh, fulfilling that role either differently or, or similarly. That's a great question. Um, and it's definitely a big transition for us and sort of a, a new role to step into. I think for me, I'm very much an open person. So if I sense that someone might feel uncomfortable or someone might have questions about how we're going to navigate, you know, a certain issue or something like that with an executive director that's coming from a different perspective, I'm always happy to talk about it. And I find that usually a conversation really gets the job done. Otherwise, I think in many ways, the role is pretty similar. You know, we are not a, we're an organization that works very closely with Batidin, but we're not an organization that makes halachic decisions. So the fact that I'm not a rabbi has not really been an issue in any respect in that sense. And I think in a lot of ways, it helps me really connect to what a lot of the women we're working with are going through. I have a lot of experience being the only woman in a room. Mm. And, you know, for many women who go to Beitin or who go to receive a get, that's really the experience, although some Beitin are working to change that. So it really helps connect me to the people that we work with, and that's been really helpful. I, I completely hear that, and it's interesting because from a male perspective, there, se- there would seem to me um, to be an opportunity for somebody, and I use this term literally, man to man, to look at a husband who is um, denying his wife a get and look at him and say, you know, man up, what are you doing? But to hear that necessarily from a woman, I don't know that that technique works. But on the flip side, you bring to the table this opportunity to connect with an aguna, to connect with a woman who has been, who is currently being denied a, a get and therefore allow her to really feel a connection to the organization because there is that female compatibility. Absolutely. And I think even with the husband, you know, when I first started at ORA, I was a case advocate. So my initial experience was really on the ground working the cases. And I find that what most people want, even get refusers, is really to be heard. And that's always the first step. So I found that just with empathic listening tools and really creating a space where we do our best to understand exactly what's going on and what's motivating the get refusal, that's something that I've really been able to do regardless of, Mm. you know, sort of crossing that gender difference. And um, I found that that's really the most important piece to be able to speak to someone, you know, person to person to really try and understand them. And that for many of my cases was really what led to the resolution. Not always. We work with some really, really tough cases and really difficult personalities. But for some of our cases, it's really that opening of communication and really giving people a space to be heard that makes all the difference. And you're being a lawyer. Um, how mm-hmm. how has that? I mean, I am married to a lawyer, and so <laughs> I I appreciate the fact that these same. Uh, question can be asked four different ways in order to elicit a different response. Um, I'm wondering if your background as a lawyer um, helps you in this position as well. 
Absolutely. I'm actually married to a lawyer as well. Oh, my God. So no one gets no one gets the chance to speak in your house. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. (laughs) My daughter once asked me, am I a little lawyer? Um, So she's on her way, but not quite. Um, But the truth is, I I think it's very helpful. I always tell people we don't do representation at Aura. That's not our role. But I use the law degree all day, every day. So much of what we do is really working at the intersection of different legal systems. So it's not just working with the court, but it's helping people navigate through a process where there's court and there's beaten and there might be an international component and there might be a criminal component and there could be all sorts of systems and processes that are all going at the same time. And there are professionals who work in each system, but there are very, very few professionals who are really familiar with multiple systems and can help people structure the process in a way that gives them a cohesive strategy, that it's not just this is what you have to do for your get and this is what you have to do to get the child support and this is what you have to do here, but to really bring those pieces together and help someone identify what their top priorities are and figure out based on your top priorities, this is probably the structure that makes sense for you. So that's a lot of what we do. And we actually, this we're currently in the fourth year of the program, we started a Jewish divorce hotline, essentially. It's not a crisis hotline. It's more of a, a helpline, but where people call us early in the divorce process and we help them just figure out what to do first, because that's so complicated when you're going through divorce in the Jewish community and you have all these different systems that offer different things and people don't even know where to start. So a lot of what we do is help people do that. And I found that the law degree has just been invaluable in really understanding all those systems, how they work together. And, you know, even in law school, I was always most excited by the cases that really combine systems or that compare different legal processes. So I love that I get to do that at work every day. That's incredible. The um, Tell me at what point in your um, experience as a lawyer or in, in your career, I should say, did you look at an opportunity at ORA as being something that made sense to you within your um, within your lifestyle, within your role uh, as, a, as an Orthodox Jewish woman? I mean, at what point did you say, wow, I, I don't know that at U of P Law I was actually planning to do this for a living, but this makes sense? It's a great question. It was actually pretty early on. I went to law school wanting to do something related to social justice, family law. I wasn't sure what. I applied for an internship doing domestic abuse work, and it was one of those sort of hashkacha practice stories where I at Penn they do interviews by lottery, and I didn't initially get the interview, but someone canceled at the last minute. I happened to be in a suit about 10 minutes away, so I took the spot. And I ended up spending my first summer in law school interning with a legal services organization that worked with survivors of domestic abuse. And they mentioned to me they had just gotten a grant to work with the Orthodox community. Was I interested? And the truth is, I'm actually a Balas Shuva, and I had never thought about there being abuse in the Orthodox community. It hadn't really crossed my mind, but I was very, very interested. And I spent this internship, and what was so powerful about it for me is that I was the only Orthodox staff member working on that project. Mm. And I actually happened to get engaged that summer and people were a little nervous for me because all their exposure to marriage in the Orthodox community were these terrible cases we were seeing. And here I was, you know, 23 and getting engaged and it actually inspired a lot of concern. And it just 
made me realize that I was coming from such a different perspective because this was my community and there was such a connection with the people I worked with that we were coming from the same place. And I, I think one thing that can be hard sometimes about this issue is that domestic abuse, get refusal, it's not necessarily the place where our community necessarily shines. So I think it's very important to understand the community as a whole, that yes, there are aspects of the community that could use work that could be better, but there are also really wonderful elements of our community. And there are so many characteristics of the firm community that can be both positive and negative. So I think having that understanding of the whole picture was really, you know, really just changed my orientation to the work. And it's been really foundational for me. So pretty much after that internship, I knew that I wanted to do something related to orthodox domestic abuse. I initially thought it was going to be more litigation. I ended up um, getting a role in advocacy and I just fell in love with it and I've never really looked back. So that's really how it got started. Yes, God seems to certainly have intervened in your life in that case. That's uh that's a great story. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Keshet Starr joins us this morning. She is the executive director of ORA, the Organization for the Resolution of Agunot, the nonprofit organization that addresses the Aguna divorce refusal crisis on a case-by-case worldwide situation. Let me ask you a question, Keshet. How many people do you, speaking of domestic abuse, how many people are surprised to hear that get refusal is a form of domestic abuse? You know, increasingly, it's become part of the cultural fabric that we think that way, so less and less. I think when I first started at ORA, I've been at ORA seven years, so it's been some time, that was a really revolutionary concept, and we've really seen that become a given, which is exciting to see. But I think that's a critical framework, and recently, just over the past couple of months, I've been doing a lot more legal education programs. So educating attorneys and judges and other court staff about this issue. And for them, once they, it, it, for them, it really is new to think about get refusal in terms of domestic abuse. And that has been a really important mindset change so that when they're dealing with it in their cases, they can really understand the dynamics and why they should care about it. Because otherwise, it seems like just a separate religious issue that they don't need to deal with. So the domestic abuse frame has been really important. Right. And I would say also that that is to the credit of ORA. And if we talk for a second, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, that um, this crisis, and I, you, the word crisis is absolutely accurate. I mean, people talk about the Shidduch crisis, and, I'm, and that is usually done in quotation marks. Um, and in air quotes, shall we say, but this is an actual crisis. But I, so the knowledge, the, the fact that the community has become aware of this crisis, that there are women who are literally sitting in a, in a figurative jail because their husbands have refused them to give them gets. And in addition, that this get refusal is a form of domestic abuse is completely to the credit of ORA and its goal in educating the community. Yes, no, I have to say I'm, I'm very proud. And obviously we're, we're a team at Aura that works together, but this has been just a huge part of our mission. And I, I think it's really made a difference, which is exciting to see. And I think part of the, the crisis piece as well is that what I think what, the reason why I feel so strongly about get refusal is that not only are people suffering and not only does it have an impact in that sense, but Standing up against debt refusal is really standing up for halacha because yes. I think for those of us who 
believe in Torah as a system that is all about human dignity and respect and justice, to see our Torah manipulated in this way is, is really disturbing. And I think that's part of why it's so important for the community to really understand this and take a stand against this, because this is really about Torah, you know, existing for what it should be as well. Agreed. Agreed. And people don't get that either. They don't understand mm-hmm. that this is something that is, I mean, I'm going to use the word commandment, um, even though it is clearly not one of the 10. But um, but this is this is an actual halacha. And when you see people, and I, and I reference the posting this week, um, mm-hmm. which we'll discuss in a second, when you see people who on paper appear to be God-fearing, Torah-observant Jews refusing their wives a get, you frankly cannot figure out what in the name of God is going through their minds except the control and power that one human being can have over another. Absolutely. And that's why community is so important, because individuals, they want things like control and power. Divorce in general does not bring out the best in people. Right. So people on their own can go the wrong way, and that you know, we, I understand how that happens, but that's why everyone around them needs to be able to say, hey, you know, you're doing, like, this isn't the way to do this. I know that you're struggling. There are other ways to deal with this. This is really not an option on the table that you can use without there being severe consequences in terms of just your social acceptability. And that's where the fact that we're a tight-knit you know, very social community, I think that's something that we can really use to our advantage. Because when the friends and family aren't on board, it is very hard for a get refuser to really stick with that get refusal if they're really on their own. That's actually very challenging for them to do. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's discuss the most recent case that was actually posted on Facebook, which is what honestly brought Ora into the forefront of my mind. And I'm so happy that I reached out to you. I think it was a post on Monday on Facebook. And by the way, this is also why social media and the power of social media, why social media can be a good thing. This Absolutely. informing people about get refusers and getting the the online community and the greater actual, you know, physical Jewish community behind an aguna and getting the, the pressure necessary to get the family and get the people who are surrounding the individual to force him to compel him to give the get is, is, is a good use of social media. So there is, um, there is unfortunately the story of Nahama Esther Wasserman, who has been separated from her husband. Is it Dovey or David? A David. David Wasserman for four years. And she has since been waiting for a get for the last four years. Mm-hmm. And there have been two, according to the information that I have, there have been two Bate Din that have issued Seruvim, just so that you can explain what a Seruv is. Sure. So a Seruv basically is in order of contempt. No one is, basically, when a Bate Din reaches out to someone to invite them to come to the Bate Din and argue their case, if they don't show up, the Bate Din sends a second letter and a third letter and then usually a warning letter. And then if the person still doesn't show up, the beaten will issue a serov, and that's basically a letter saying that this individual is refusing to come to beaten to discuss the get. And the reason that's so important, some people will say, oh, but it's really just because he didn't want to come, et cetera. But the reality is if 
he refuses to come and discuss the issue of the debt with a neutral third party, she doesn't have any options right. left. That's really where Aura comes in. Without that, once that syrup is issued, that's the end of the line for the Beitin, and it leaves her without any options moving forward. And that's why it's so serious. It's something that Batedin do not issue lightly. And that's why the community should take it seriously, because if there's a Seruv against someone, it means that they're refusing to come to the table. So we have two Seruvim against him at two Seruvim against him at this point. There looks like there is a third coming from a third based in. I mean, is there, uh, there there has to be recourse at some points and please God, she should um, receive her get before another best in these based in needs to sit and convene on what seems to be a clear black and white topic. Um, but if not, there will be another based in who will come down and frankly waste their time with a man who just will not answer the call to a based in and do the right halachic thing. Absolutely. And this is a case, in some of our cases, there's a very clear goal behind the get refusal. I want this particular custody mm. arrangement. I want X case taken out of court, whatever it is. This case isn't like that. It just comes down to that power and control piece. I once had a very long conversation with the get refuser, not in this case, but a different one, where I was really trying to get to the heart of what this was all about. And at the end, she just said, well, this is, I'm doing this because this is what I want to do. There, there wasn't really a reason. It was about that, that power and control. I want X, so that's it. I want to be the one that drives this ship. And this case is like that, and that's difficult. If there's a particular concern that they're bringing out, then there's something that we can maybe do to alleviate their concerns or to open up a conversation or a mediation or something on those terms. But here, there's no reason, you know, it it really leaves her with much more limited options, and that's where Aura comes in as an advocacy arm. Right. Unbelievable. Well, thank God that many Agunot have seen success through Aura and through Aura's advocacy on their behalf. Um, and fourth, you know, you are one of those organizations I refer to as an organization that wishes it doesn't have to exist. Um, Absolutely. You know, Sharsharet is in that ballpark as well. We don't want to have to be in business. And please, God, there will be a resolution to the Aguna crisis that that is so you know, potentially forthcoming. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to do the right thing. It really, it really shouldn't. But until the crisis is over, I, I speak on behalf of women everywhere. Um, thank God I am happily married. But on behalf of, of plenty of divorcees, um, we appreciate the fact that there is an organization like ORA that can advocate on behalf of Agunot for as long as it is necessary. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'm happily married myself, and we always read the message. This is not just for people going through divorce, because if if halacha is being manipulated and if the people in our community who are in such vulnerable positions are not being treated well and treated with dignity, then the whole community suffers. Right. We might not see it tangibly, but we all suffer if we're not taking care of the most vulnerable people in our community, because 
that's really what Torah is all about. Absolutely. So it's something for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been Keshet Star joining us this morning. She is the executive director of Ora. You can check out more information at getora.org. And I, I mean this wholeheartedly. Please see if you can support Ora. I know that we made a, I made a pitch at the beginning of this program for our own um, foundation, the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting that supports all of our programming here at the Nachum Siegel Network. But in addition, um, see what you can do to help Ora as well. This is a crisis of the community and it is our responsibility to support them as well. You can go to getora, G-E-T-O-R-A dot org for more information. Keshet, thank you for your time this morning. I wish you continued Hatzlacha and both in your position and on your, and, and as, um, as Ora continues, it's continues its good work. Amen. Thank you so much. It was so nice speaking with you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You've been listening. Too. You've been listening to that's live here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We continue our programming. The live lunch starts in just a few moments, hosted by Nachum Siegel, and at one o'clock we have TBT Throwback Thursday. 4 p.m. today, we have an encore of JM Rewind that will feature a number of programs, a number of interviews, sorry, from our program last week with JNF, so you can hear more about them as well. Tomorrow morning, join Nach, and sorry, the Arab Shabbos show begins at 7 o'clock this evening, hosted by Mark Zamek and brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Tomorrow morning, join Nachum as he hosts JM and AM from 6 to 9 a.m. And at the conclusion of JM and AM, it's table for two with Naomi and then an encore presentation of the Arab Shabbos show. So you have your app on until candlelighting starting at 6 a.m. going old or even JM, you know, or as we say, bonus JM at 530 in the a.m. Just put on your app and leave it on all day long. Matze Shabbos, Saturday night. Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami starts at 9 p.m. and JM Sunday with Matzah starting at 7 a.m. Sunday morning. It's a little bit of a TBT moment here. This song came out in 2010. It's Moshav Band with The Only One here at That's Life. That's Life, everybody. Bye, guys. Nemo, <laughs> <laughs>